Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. So today we are continuing in our series, Supporting Cast, and I want to dive right in to our story today. So I'm going to have you turn to the book of Mark, book of Mark chapter 5. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark. We're going to be looking at a story in the life of Jesus, and I, uh, I hope that it speaks to you in a moment that maybe you feel right now or a moment that you hit down the road where you just feel like, man, all hope seems lost. I'm not sure where to turn. We're going to look at a story of two characters. I'm cheating a little bit. We're looking at one per week. Well, today I'm looking at two, so I'm cheating a little bit in our series. But I hope that today you get to see this story really can speak to different moments that we just maybe don't want to happen, moments where we don't know where else to turn. That's what a story like today is going to be. So the book of Mark, chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Let's start there. When Jesus again had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So we get this character, Jairus. He is asking Jesus to come heal his daughter. His daughter's dying. And so he's like, where else do I go? Who else do I turn to? I've heard about this guy, Jesus. Now, notice, like, this guy is a synagogue leader. And he's a man of prominence. He's a man of respect. And, and so people look up to him. It's like, oh, here comes Jairus. Everybody knows who he is. He's a synagogue leader. Like, they, they know who this guy is. And he's a prominent person one of stature. And what does he do? He comes up to Jesus and he falls on his knees. He falls on his knees. He's like, I need you to come save my daughter. I'm not coming to you as a synagogue leader. I'm not coming to you as a religious teacher. I'm coming to you as a dad. I'm a dad and I need help. See, later in the text, we're told that his daughter is about 12 years old. This is his little girl. He's been raising her. And she's about at the age, at that time, to getting married. Mid-teenage years was pretty common for, for a girl to get married. And so he's approaching the finish line of raising her. He's about ready to send her off into the next stage of life. And here she is, about to cross a different finish line one that he wouldn't want for her. And he's been trying everything. I'm sure they brought in doctors and it's like, okay, who can help her? And now she's at the brink of death. He's at the end of his rope. Where's he going to turn? Nobody else has been able to help. There's nothing else that he can think of to do. And so what does he do? I've heard about this guy, Jesus He's been healing people. People are making noise about him. Like, maybe he can do something. And so he goes to find him. And sure enough, he's down by the lake. 
He falls on his knees. Jesus, will you come with me? I've heard about you. I, I don't know what you can do, but would you please lay your hands on her? She can be healed. Come with me, please. He's a dad looking for a solution when there doesn't seem to be any hope. Verse 24, Jesus went with him. Yes, I will go with you. And right there in that moment, a glimmer of hope. He's going to come. He's going to come with me like, okay, come with me. My house is this way and, and we're going to start walking this way. Come with me. Thank you for coming. There's a glimmer of hope. But keep reading. A large crowd followed and pressed against him. And there was a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Notice the repetition of 12. This little, little girl, she's born 12 years ago. This woman has been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years ago, this issue started. And it's probably like this menstrual kind of bleeding. She's been dealing this, with this for 12 years. She has suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. So there's this woman. She's been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years, and notice that repetition. She has had all of these experiences where nothing has worked. She's gone to doctors. She's gone to people like, hey, can you heal me? Can you help? And nobody has been able to come through for her. Twelve years suffering under this physical condition. This has been her life for over a decade. She's suffering, and there's nobody that's been able to help. So not only is she suffering physically, she's suffered financially. The text tells us, like, she spent all that she had. She's given all of her wealth away, all of her money, like, somebody help me, somebody help me, and nothing has worked. And it's all gone. So she suffered physically, and she suffered financially. But she's also suffered more. One thing you need to know is that in the Old Testament, the people of God, they were given instruction. It's like, here's how you need to live. Here's the right and wrong of life. But then there was also a category of things where they were to be kept clean or pure. So maybe you've read the Old Testament. You've come across some of these things. They were to operate in a particular way, and they were to keep themselves pure as a representation of God and who he is, well, there were certain things that would make you impure, certain things that would, would put you in this new category, and, and bleeding was one of them. And so women, every month, they'd have a few days where they were technically unclean or impure. Now, don't hear impure as being wrong or sinful or something like that. It's not morally wrong. It's just a category of uncleanness. And so what they would have to do is step back from the community. Just kind of remove themselves from the, from the social circle and, and let this play out, and then they would go through a process to become clean again. And so women have to do that every month. This woman has had to do it constantly for 12 years. Not only is she impure, she has to pull back from community. She doesn't do that just for a few days. She's done that all the time. 
ritually she's unclean and therefore she has to be set apart from the community. She is isolated, socially disconnected. She suffered physically, she suffered financially, she has suffered socially. She has not been allowed around people. This is her life. This is what she's suffering. 12 years of it. And so she has hit this moment where all hope is lost. Like, who can I turn to? Where can I go? What can be done? Nothing has worked. But I've heard about this Jesus. Maybe if I just touch his clothes, like, I could be healed. Just maybe. And so she takes a risk. She takes a risk, and she goes straight into this crowd. Now, remember, she's not supposed to be around people because if someone who is impure touches another person, that next person becomes impure. So imagine her. She's in, in this crowd, and she's bumping up against people. She knows, like, I just made that person impure and that person. She's taking a major risk. But if I could just get to him, if I could just touch his clothes, then maybe, then maybe. Watch what happens. Verse 29. Immediately, immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So picture, she's wandering through and eventually gets up to Jesus and just grabs a hold of it. And boom, in that instant, in a moment, it's all better. I mean, she can feel it. She felt the change in her body. She's all better. I mean, imagine the shock and the elation. Like, in that moment, I'm, I'm better. Like, everything is restored. It's as it should be. Like, the surprise and the shock. The, right there, in an instant, she has been healed. But watch what happens next. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. So Jesus stops. He's walking along. He's headed down the road. And she grabs his clothes and he stops. Who touched me? And she's, she's trying to hide. Like she's trying to shrink back into the crowd. Like she knows it was her. She knows that she's the one. And he's like, who touched me? It's like, ah, there's all these people around. No, 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 no. Someone touched me. Who did it? Who did it? And she's afraid because she's not supposed to be there. She's not supposed to come into contact with other people. She just touched Jesus. She made him impure, so she thinks. And he's looking for her. And so finally she realizes she can't be hidden. She comes forward. She falls on her knees and tells him everything. I, I'm the one who touched you. I've been bleeding for 12 years. I've had no help. Nobody's been able to help me, but I touched your clothes, and I've been healed. 
I've been healed. How is Jesus going to respond? Verse 34. He said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus turns around, finds her on her knees, and says, daughter. Now, the, the word here communicates like intimacy and connection. Daughter. Like such familial language here. Now, this woman, she was probably Jesus' age, or maybe even older. She's probably not young. She's probably not someone who's, you know, just kind of started out in life. No, she's probably as old as he is, if not older. Like that's what the, the text kind of senses or implies to us. Yet he calls her daughter. You're older than me, but daughter. Jesus knows that she needs more than just physical healing. She needs to be restored socially. And so what he does is he's looking for her. He knows that he needs to find her, and he calls her daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And not just peace as in calmness or like, okay, everything's like wholeness, restoration. Everything is as it should be. Go in peace. You have been set free. He knew that she needed more than physical healing. She needed to be restored socially. She needed connection. She needed to hear daughter. Maybe you're in a moment right now, or you've had moments in your life where you just need to hear son, daughter, I'm with you. You're not alone. You still belong to me. I am with you. Daughter, son, this is what she needed. She needed to hear that. Your faith has healed you. Now, let's be clear here. There's nothing magical about Jesus' clothes. It's not like the Holy Grail in, in Indiana Jones or anything like this. It's not that level. Like What's happening here is that she reached out to touch his clothes, come in contact with him, and she took a step of faith. A risk. She was bold. And I think God looked at that and said, I'm going to honor that. His clothes aren't magical. It's not like, okay, there's a special part. Like, God saw what she was doing and honored her act. Your faith has healed you. And so no longer is she suffering. Twelve years, over a decade, and now everything is made right. She's been healed. She's been healed. Where was Jesus going again? Oh, yeah, that's right, Jairus, his house. Let's keep reading. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jesus agreed to go with him. Jairus is like, okay, great. There's a glimmer of hope, and there's this crowd, and they're having to navigate through, and suddenly he stops. He stops. Like, why was he stopping? What's going on here? And he's talking to this woman. They're having a conversation. It's like, we got to go. Like, what's going on here? And he heals her. She's been healed. Well, that's great. 
Oh, by the way, your daughter died because of it. So right here, Jairus, there was a glimmer of hope. Jesus was going to come. Maybe he could do something. And then he stops along the way. And that's it. He healed this woman, but because he did that now, I'm going to suffer the consequences. My daughter will not be healed. All hope is lost. That was it. It's over. Why bother him anymore? Verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Trust me, have faith, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, John, John, and the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they all laughed at him. You see, at, at that time, what they would do is when someone would pass away, the community would come around the family, and they would begin the funeral process. And part of that included lament. They would come together, they would cry out, they would cry with, and they would wail like, Lord, this is sad. This is heartbreaking. It's not the way it's supposed to be, and we cry out. They would do that. And this was a formal community thing. They already started doing that. This girl's dead. And, and Jesus shows up, no, 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 she's not dead. She's just asleep. Like, what are you talking about? We've been in to see her. She's not breathing. She's gone cold. Like, this is over. It's time to start our process here. And they laugh at him. And they laugh at him. Verse 40. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand. Now, remember, we just said earlier, like, someone who's impure, when they touch someone, they become impure. Well, you can imagine if a bleeding person is impure, you can assume a dead body is impure, right? And he takes her by the hand. A dead body. He's touching. When they came, oops, excuse me, and he said to her, Talithleth kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the little girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave them strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Little girl, daughter, get up. And she does. And they're all amazed, like, what's happening? He's like, give her something to eat. She's just like she was. Right here, Jesus demonstrates who he is. Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. Let me show you. She's not dead. She's asleep. Let me show you. And he walks into her room. Get up. And she does. She has been restored, redeemed from death. The story happens in a larger section, both in Mark and then its companion section in Luke where these two gospel writers are really trying to say something about who Jesus is. Jesus has come onto the scene. He's like, I'm announcing the kingdom. God is here. He's working, and he's working through me. And let me show you what I mean. 
And as the disciples go across this lake, there's a storm and it's gonna destroy their boat and they're all afraid they're gonna die and Jesus calms the storm. He has power and authority over disaster. And then they get to the other side of the lake and there's a man who's oppressed by demons and he says, leave him alone and cast them out. He has power over the demonic. And we get to our story and we see that he has power over disease. This woman has been suffering for 12 years. I have power over that. And then I have power over death itself. There's nothing that has authority over me. This is who I am. And he's going to take that power and that authority. He's going to go to a cross. And he says, that death problem, I'm going to deal with its root. Sin, brokenness, evil, all gone because I have authority. This is what he does. This is who he is. He is the king who has authority over all things. And he comes in and says, I get the final say. And death does not reign. Disease does not reign. No matter what happens, when all hope seems lost, I can give you hope. I can give you hope. And so what he calls forth from us, what the gospel writers are trying to point to is to say, we are to have faith. We're to have faith. We're to trust him. Have you been in a moment like this woman, like Jairus, where it feels like you're at the bottom of the barrel, you're at the end of your rope, you don't know where else to turn, all hope seems lost. The call is to turn to Jesus. He's going to meet us right there. That's where he specializes in his work. Like when everything else seems dark and there's no way forward, that's where I'm going to be. And that's where I'm going to work. Because nothing has authority over me. And when all hope seems lost, I'm going to give you hope. And we're to have faith in that. We're to have faith in him. So maybe you're in a moment like this right now. You're like, I have no idea how to move forward. I don't know where else I can turn. I don't know what else I can do. Like, all hope seems lost. You can turn to him. He will work. He will work to redeem. He will work to restore. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to give you exactly what you want or ask for. He's going to give you exactly what you need. See, this woman, she's coming like she's going to touch his clothes. I just need to be physically healed. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Come here. You need something else. I'm going to restore you socially. In front of all of these people, they're all going to see that you are healed. You are redeemed. You are restored because you belong to me. He knows what we need. He's going to give us what we need. Maybe not what we want or expect. He's going to give us what we need. Now, maybe you're not in a moment like that right now. Maybe you've had them in your past You can think back and think of a story or a situation. You're like, oh, man, that was it. Or you might feel like there's one coming. Regardless of where we find ourselves, the call is the same. Trust me. 
Trust me. That's what Jesus wants to say to us. Trust me. Have faith in me. Look to me. We're to have faith. We're to trust. Church family, we're in a tough season ourselves as a church. If you're a guest with us, you, you're like, oh, what do you mean? Like, there's a lot that's been happening for our church. This is a hard season. And I don't think all hope is lost. It's not there, no. But man, it feels like we're up against it, right? The call is for us as a church family, as a body, to trust the Lord. He's working he is present. He is redeeming. And that is where he specializes in things. We're to trust him. We're to have faith in him. We're to align ourselves to him. I think this is a message for us right now. Like, Lord, be present with us and walk us forward. We want to trust you in everything that's happening. And he wants to work to restore. So we're to have faith. There's two things I want to add or, or kind of color for this. So we're to have faith. That's what the call of this text is. But notice two, two things about the characters in our story. What do they both do when they come to Jesus? They fall to their knees. Especially the synagogue leader, Jairus. Like, he's a man who stands up. He's proud and prominent. Like, he's a man of stature. He falls to his knees. So I think the call is to have faith with humility. Have faith with humility. When we are proud or when we're kind of like holding on to control ourselves and we kind of operate with like, yeah, I've got it under control, we're not actually operating in faith. We're not trusting him. We're not relying on him. We're not surrendering. I think that's the call of this text is we can't do it on our own. Neither of these characters could really solve the problem. They had to come humbly and in surrender. That's what faith looks like. Let's fall into our knees in humility. Lord, I can't do it on my own. I can't make this happen. I can't be the one that's in control. I need to relinquish and release. So humility. Come with faith with humility. Come also, number two, with perseverance. Imagine this woman, 12 years. Everybody has failed her. No one's come through. If I were in her shoes, I'd probably have been like, that's it. Like, I, I can't do anything else. This is just the fact of life. I just got to deal with it. But she persevered. She persevered and persisted. She was patient and kept going and took risk. She had faith that endured. Sometimes we're not going to get the answer we're looking for right away. Sometimes we're not going to experience that restoration right away. Sometimes... It's going to take a while. Sometimes we need to persist in our coming to the Lord. So have faith that is humble and faith that persists, that perseveres. Our faith is to endure. Even when all hope seems lost and there's nowhere else we can turn and it doesn't seem like Jesus is, is coming through, like he stopped along the way, we still are to trust him. He will come through in the way that we need him to. Maybe not the way that we want, but the way that we need him to. So we're to trust him. So have faith that perseveres. Now imagine, church family, 
Imagine a world where people are doing this. The kingdom of God is is spreading of people who operate with faith. People who fully trust and fully give themselves. Imagine what that's like. That's the world we're heading towards. That's where it's going. So we're called to embody that right now. Wherever we hit these moments where it's like, I don't have any hope. I don't know where else to turn. We're to have faith. We're to turn to him humbly with perseverance because he's going to meet us in that moment. This is who he is. He says to a son, daughter, I am with you. I will restore. That's what this story teaches us. That's what this story shows us through these characters. So will you have faith? When you hit these moments where all hope seems lost, you don't know where else to turn, turn to him. Because Jesus gives us hope. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, we thank you for this good news. That you are the one who has authority over everything in the world. Nothing overcomes you. And so, Lord, we align ourselves to you. We turn our attention to you and we say, all right, I want to go with you, Lord. I want to follow you. And I'm going to trust you. And sometimes we're going to stumble in that trust. Lord, we're going to, we're going to fall short. We're going to turn our eyes away. We're going, to, we're going to focus on other things. I pray, God, that you help us to continue to trust you. Keep our eyes fixed on you, walking towards you. Even when it feels like darkness surrounds, everything is up against us. We are safe with you. So help us to do that humbly, with perseverance, to continually come to you, Lord. And Lord, whatever situations we might find ourselves, whether it's the good times, where things are are easy, light, there's celebration, or whether things are dark, there's despair and challenge. We can trust you. We can go with you. And you are there with us. We are your sons and your daughters. We belong to you. So help us to operate with faith, with full trust, coming to you humbly and with perseverance. We love you, Lord. Thank you for meeting us in our moments. And it's in your name that we pray.